With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Are you ready? To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog face pony show. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is... This is... First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on my favorite day of the week, First Amendment Friday. We do open up the phone lines, and you're certainly welcome to join the best conversation in talk journalism. It happens right here on the Radio Northwest Network, now celebrating 24 years of serving the Pacific Northwest. Now, I want to tell you something. There is something going on that you ought to know about because almost everybody who can hear this today is directly affected by it. The states of Oregon and Washington are sitting on giant piles of cash. In Olympia, they've got a budget surplus of about $3 billion. Now, you know, Democrats, that doesn't mean, even when they're sitting on $3 billion, it does not mean that they're ever going to say, by the way, we've got enough money. We ought to think about uh, not raising any more taxes or fees or anything like that. No, no, they never do that. They could sit on a pile of money as big as Mount Rushmore, and they would still say, we could use one more tax. So Oregon has the same kind of situation. In fact, the governor was just bragging a couple of months ago in December. She said, why, we just found, they, they apparently shook the couch cushions or something, and they found an extra $600 million. And yet and still, both states are planning on massive tolling plans for the public. Now, Puget Sound area already has these crazy tolls that apply to the express lanes. So you can either sit in the parking lot of the non-express lanes, or you can pay your government a lot of money to drive in the actual lanes that are moving on the I-405 and other freeways. Well, now Oregon wants to get in on the action. They see a lot of money to be made. So they say, we want to have some tolls as well, except the public hates it. The public hates it on both the north side and the south side of the Columbia River. The general public absolutely hates tolling. And I will back that up. And I want to point out, in Puget Sound, despite the public's hatred for this tolling program, what does the state of Washington do? They say, we're sitting on a pile of money. So let's increase the tolls, I kid you not, by 55-0%. Now you think, you're making it harder for me to get to work. You're making it more expensive for me to get to work. 
And as my friend uh, John Lee points out at Clark County, um, Clark County Today, this ought to be a cautionary tale for people in the Portland metro. Seattle already knows about this ripoff scam they've got going where the state and the federal government collect taxes from you and they build freeways. And then they rent them back to you and say, by the way, the freeways that you already paid for with your gas taxes, with your income taxes, with your registration fees, and in terms of truckers, with all of the fees that you have to pay, that you have to pay excise taxes on your tires and everything else, and all that money, well, not all that money, a big chunk of it is siphoned off for public transit, which is crazy. But having said that, all that money pays for all those freeways and highways and bridges and everything else. And they got the biggest scam in the world going, saying, now that we got these yo these rubes to pay for all this, let's rent the stuff back to them and tell them, well, yeah, that's a freeway you paid for. But if you want to actually drive on it, you have to pay us a fee to drive on it. That's how crazy it is. So maximum tolling rates, this is for Puget Sound, are going from $9 on State Road 167 to 10 uh, and on I-405 to $15, a minimum rate will be $1. So on the road you've already paid for, you have to pay at least a minimum fee, even at the bare minimum, even driving late at night. Now, go to Oregon and consider that Oregon is so sure that it's going to have a tolling program that they have already offered up six-figure jobs. One of them is a $200,000 job to run the state's tolling program that doesn't exist today. And if they actually listen to the public, will not ever exist. Because let me tell you about the latest numbers that have come out of a survey just done in the early part of February. In the Portland metro, 76% of those in the poll say they're against it. That's more than three quarters. Opposition in Clackamas County, 91%. Washington County, 76%. Multnomah County, 69%. And in Washington state, similar numbers. So, Governor Kotek, who was feeling the political heat last year, she actually said, well, you know, let's, let's put a, put a hold. We'll put a pause on the tolling program until we actually hear from the public. Well, they have. They've heard from the public. Except that they're probably going to do exactly what government has taken to doing for the last couple of decades, especially. They say we have to have public comment periods and we'll hold some public meetings so we can listen to our constituents. And then, on almost any subject under the sun, when the public comes in by the hundreds or even by the thousands and says, don't you dare do this, what does government do? They stick their fingers in their ear and they say, la, 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 I can't hear you. This is their act all day long. But I want you to dr just draw that picture in your head. Tina Kotek sitting on extra hundreds of millions of dollars. The state legislature in Olympia sitting on billions in a surplus. And both of them say, we are going to charge the people for driving on the freeways and the roads that they've already paid for. And as Oregon Catalyst points out, after Kotek discovered the extra two-thirds of a billion dollars in surplus funds in December, and they can't even entirely explain How'd you make a mistake and find an extra 600 million? At the same time, they point out she's pushing for a seven station tolling plan to toll the living daylights out of anybody who lives in the Portland metro. 
And if you think, well, I don't live right in the metro area, I live somewhere else in the state, once they get going with this nonsense, don't tell me you ever expect them to stop. Number two, State Representative Paul Evans is pushing for a statewide property tax. So even though they're sitting on a surplus, even though they found extra cash, even though they plan to, to co collect huge amounts of money in tolls, they've got ideas for new taxes. Now, at the same time, they're saying, gosh, we don't have enough money to repair the bridges in the state. We don't have enough money for seismic upgrades. We're short of cash everywhere. But we're rolling in cash right now, and we've got plans to go out and tax you more. And I want to tell you two other effects. Number one, for the average person who drives to an average wages job, the idea of paying an extra five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars a day in tolls, that is going to slice the daylights out of your take home pay. It is another government tax that you'll literally pay before you get to the job. Before you even start earning wages, you'll be paying a tax to Tina Kotek. Seattle and the Seattle area is already doing it. That's problem number one. Problem number two, once they start tolling the freeways, an awful lot of commuters who don't have the extra cash are going to say, then I'll divert to surface streets. And you know what's going to happen? All that extra traffic is going to flow through neighborhoods and places that are not built to handle that amount of traffic. And traffic and pedestrian deaths are going to go up. But Tina Kotek apparently doesn't care. I mean, if you thought she cared about you dying, you got to take a look at what she didn't do about the fentanyl program uh, problem. Have you seen her talking about the fentanyl at all? No, all she's talking about is, I'd like half a, tr half a billion dollars to spend on housing so the government can build it more efficiently in the private sector. It is First Amendment Friday. We'll get you your phone calls and emails. And the Northwest Nonsense is coming up next on the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Are in the front lines of wildlife conservation and inspire environmental stewardship amongst the millions of families that visit every year. And know that zoos and aquariums that have earned the Humane Certified Seal of Approval from American Humane will not give up until every species has a fighting chance for survival. Find out more and help protect and preserve the amazing creatures that share our world. Brought to you by American Humane. 
Recently, the U.S. Navy delivered tons of food to hungry people halfway around the world. But you could help someone in your own community simply by donating a can of soup. Last week, a Navy doctor saved the life of a total stranger. Just like you could by giving a pint of blood. The men and women of America's Navy do some amazing things to make the world a better place. So can you. Whether it's by donating food or simply giving time right in your own backyard. Brought to you by America's Navy. snowflakes yes you are probably going to be offended this is the lars larson show i want you to think about this for a moment that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense a lot of nonsense right your body well right you know you got a right to say this is the northwest nonsense how much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense but Great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the Daily Dead, Fish Rapper, or mainstream media bias. Up for re-election, DA Mike Schmidt show, and I hope he fails for re-election. He's Multnomah County's district attorney. He always talks a good game about hate crimes. Heck, he even sends out press releases on crimes that happen thousands of miles away. He's that desperate to get attention to the fact that he's woke and he believes in hate crimes. But what happens when he gets up close and personal with an actual hate crime that even I'd agree with? Well, not so very much. Darrell Preston, food cart businessman, gets beat down to the pavement in an unprovoked attack that left him with a messed up face and permanent loss of vision in one eye. If you want to see the picture, and it is an ugly one, just take a look at LarsLarson.com. We put up a picture of Mr. Preston. He was the victim. Daniel Thomas Warren, the man who did the beating, has a long history of violent crime. Eight criminal convictions in 19 years and jail or prison each time around. To top it off, Warren was shouting racial slurs at Preston, who's black, as he launched his unprovoked attack. The DA originally demanded 12 years, which actually fits the crime, and would incapacitate this monster, take him off the streets so he can't hurt anybody else, as he has been for almost 20 years. Then Schmidt decided to cut the penalty for the white man down to just three years. He also has to read a book and write an essay. Is Schmidt a DA or a middle school principal? The family asked for an apology, the family of Mr. Preston, that is, they didn't get it. And the community gets this violent criminal back a decade earlier than it should. By the way, voters decide Mike Schmitzow's future in November. I recommend they sentence him to the private sector. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really find out right now well i'm going to give the uh, daily grill not just to the democrats but the republicans at the state legislature if you even turned on the news this morning you probably heard the oregon legislature and all the folks who think they're doing a great job patting themselves on the back for allegedly decriminalizing or reversing the decriminalization of hard drugs well my friend josh marquis the former da says this is such a watered down pos it'll either be ignored as toothless and meaningless in most parts of Oregon. 
Because it is virtually impossible to incarcerate, since it's so addict-driven, there are off-ramps for diversion, conditional discharge, and what they call deflection, without any actual definition of what that is. There won't be any real consequences for a hardened addict. No matter how many changes or non-convictions the addict gets, he, even the admittedly rare working-class, middle-class addict can save their money for their next pill. Failure to appear in court? No problem. Unlike a ticket for overtime parking or failure to promptly renew your license plate stickers, those whose failure to respond and go in for that drug accusation, no consequences whatsoever. So why would the cops and the court go to this enormous amount of trouble for a law upgrade misdemeanor that they don't have any consequence there? Presumably to look good on paper, tens of millions of dollars is already being flushed by the Multnomah County Commission on so-called peer support and more 911 call lines that are used at a rate of about $5,000 a call. He's absolutely right. So if you've heard them say, well, Measure 110 didn't work out so well, so they fixed it at the legislature, the fix, folks, is a fraud. Believe me there. Today's best email, but you can always send more, goes to talk at LarsLarson.com. James writes in, Lars, PGE has requested another 7% electric rate increase on top of what's already been done. And one of the reasons cited was for battery storage. What the heck? Investments in green energy and reimbursements of 30 million in storm damage? This madness has to stop, and Oregon government is part of the problem. How much do we need to be squeezed before the liberals finally realize their bank accounts are drying up, and maybe because their unrealistic policies are the reason? Thanks very much, signed James. To your calls on this First Amendment Friday, let's start with, uh, let's start with Richard in Battleground. Richard, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Yeah, Lars, I wanted to touch on a couple of subjects real quick with you. Sure. When I uh, opened my ballot this year and was looking at it, I noticed that we need to check a box on the back of it, whether it's Democrat or Republican. Yep. Do you think that's going to occur on the uh, general election ballots yes. also? Well, it won't... It won't necessarily have to say Republican or Democrat because in the general election, you don't vote based on party. But in the primary election, they're doing it, and it's making a lot of people angry because, and I understand why, and I completely agree with them. What is the possible reason for exposing your signature and uh, your party affiliation on the outside of the ballot envelope? And as they pointed out, if you worry about cheating, and I do, uh, if you label the outside of the ballots, all the ballots coming from Republicans, think how easy it would be to have a few of them just happen to fall in a dumpster somewhere. Yeah, yeah, like the overflow boxes. We'll store those in the shredding room over there. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. put the Democrat ones underneath the tables. Yep, yep. Now, what was the other issue you want to bring up? The other issue, you did a segment, oh, here a while back, about the little uh, transformers that people leave plugged into the walls to charge their phones or laptops and stuff like that. Boy, that's been a long time ago, so my memory of it is, is kind of faint. Right. But they do, they do consume a little bit of power. Right, yeah, and the, the argument was if everybody unplugged those, we would save the power grid. That, that was their argument, and, yep. Yeah, yeah, but nobody's ever brought up the fact, I don't know what kind of neighborhood you live in or anything, but I'm sure you've seen those big power transformer boxes at houses and neighborhoods up on poles. Yep. Those things are converting line energy yep. to usable household energy. 24-7, 365, 
and the power has to be available on demand, whether it's used or not. That's true, although they try to they they can't overfeed the grid. I mean, it's not like your bank account where you could put a thousand dollars in, even if you only know you're taking out a thousand. As I understand, they have to balance load and supply. You know, and that's one of the biggest problems when they put in all these windmills because there will be days the wind is blowing and they're producing a lot of power and there's no place for it to go. And you can't just shove that power into the system and have it go nowhere. That doesn't work. In fact, it can blow the system up. So what are you asking? Well, I wasn't asking anything. I was just making the point. So, like, in my house, if I went to uh, my circuit breaker box and turned all my breakers off, I would be consuming no power. But the transformer that's sitting on my property here is taking line voltage and converting it to household voltage. But I don't, uh, Richard, I may be getting past my physics knowledge, but if there's nothing flowing through, the, say you've got every single device in your house turned off, there is no power draw at all. Right. That that transformer right. isn't transforming. They may It may be doing it for your neighbors if they're feeding off the same line, but if there's no electricity flowing through it, it's not transforming anything. And the losses there for the whole system are apparently 15 to 2%, and they're somewhat unavoidable is the best answer I can give you. Back in a moment at First Amendment Friday on the Radio the Northwest Larson Show. Enjoy to building a better world together. From tackling climate change in Mexico to keeping kids healthy in Kenya, from sustainable farming in the Philippines to education in Kosovo, we learn more, give more, share freely, and serve boldly. Are you ready to tackle the tough stuff, to go the distance to make a difference? Then we have a place where you belong. Join us at PeaceCorps.gov. Law Enforcement Against Drugs and Violence is the most rapidly growing drug and violence prevention charity in the United States. By using an evidence-based, tested, and proven effective curricula taught by law enforcement and educators, LEAD's school-based anti-drug and anti-violence program empowers children to make the right decisions about drugs, violence, alcohol, and bullying. Learn more about LEAD at leadrugs.org or follow us at We Are LEAD. Sponsored by LEAD Incorporated. Is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday. Pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. If you haven't noticed, uh, some of the big liberal cities in America are starting to behave like the famous old Frank Rizzo saying that a conservative is a liberal who just got mugged last night. Well, consider cities like uh, Seattle or Chicago or uh, Portland or New York or uh, or San Francisco. They have all bragged for decades. We're sanctuary cities. All are welcome here. And you're welcome here without regard to your immigration status. Only now they're finding what happens when a whole bunch of illegal aliens show up all at once. And the answer is it's a tsunami of need, of demands for need. People who are showing up saying, I'm illegally in your country, and I'm not happy. I literally kid you not. I'm not happy with the food you're giving me. I'm not happy with the hotel room you're giving me. I demand that you give me more. 
And all of a sudden, a bunch of those sanctuary cities are having, you know, second thoughts about what's going on. Thought we'd talk about that with Jonathan Cho, who's a journalist with the Discovery Institute. Jonathan, good to have you back. Hey, Lars. Yeah, it, it's spreading, man. It, it's not just Seattle. I mean, I just got back from Boston where it's just turning into a, a disaster as well. Well, and, and Boston got all those, you know, PC points for announcing we're a sanctuary city. And then just recently they said, oh, hold on, we've got too many. We, we need them to go somewhere else. New York is actually saying, uh, Eric Adams is saying he wants to rewrite the sanctuary rules. That a year and a half ago he was bragging about how we're a sanctuary, it's not a problem. Have Joe send all those people to us. And then when they showed up, and they discovered we're going to be billions of dollars upside down and we're not delivering services to our, our own citizens, they're now saying, hey, could these all these people go somewhere else? And in Boston, they actually had a city councilwoman saying it was the suburban uh, community's job, you know, the little cities that surround Boston, uh, to take in all these illegals. And I think a lot of them are telling Boston, you know, pound sand, we're not taking them. You guys want to be the sanctuary city? You're it. So how are we going to see this thing end? Well, uh, you know, I was in Boston because of this tension, right? You hit it right on the head. You know, uh, I, I focused on this predominantly black community uh, called Roxbury. Um, it's just 10 minutes outside of the downtown core in Boston, and uh, the black residents are furious because the governor, Maura Healey, uh, a Democrat, uh, along with uh, Mayor uh, Michelle Wu, uh, decided to take a rec center for kids and turned that into a migrant shelter for more than 300 Haitian families. And these black residents, for the most part, are furious. They can't go there for any, you know, after-school activities anymore. They can't use the facilities to get off the streets and all the gun violence that they're facing in the neighborhood. And, uh, again, this black community feels like an already marginalized neighborhood is, is now being, you know, you know, taken advantage of. Uh, and these lawmakers are, are using uh, again, the virtue signaling and, and their righteousness to push out the black community. So it's really uh, unbelievable what's happening in Boston. Well, and Jonathan, let me guess that Roxbury is not filled with people who make six-figure salaries, right? Uh, if you haven't been there before, uh, Lars, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it is the neighborhood, the historic black neighborhood with churches, with corner stores. You don't have gleaming buildings here. You've got community centers, and this was the gem of the community, but now it's turned into this temporary migrant shelter at least until the end of May. Um, and, you know, what's infuriating some of the neighbors as well is that these migrants are getting, you know, nearly $100 a day worth of amazing catered food. I yeah. see it with my own eyes. There's the restaurant across the street bringing homemade Haitian food, jerk chicken, steak, salads, and everyone else, especially the homeless here, are like, wait, I, I've been asking for years for support. I'm on a waiting list. I have to go to a food pantry, you know, and deal with handouts. And these people are getting catered hot meals. How is that? Well, Jonathan, does that mean that if I draw this picture, so you've got liberals in America who say, oh, we should we should welcome everyone. We should open up the borders. We shouldn't have all these restrictions. Oh, but by the way, we're the biggest champions for the poor and the down and out in America. Uh, and then all of a sudden the illegal alien invasion comes and the Democrats, the liberals, the progressives that all wanted to look like they were doing the right thing for everybody, both the poor in America and the Ill invading illegals, is now telling poor communities you're going to have to suffer. We're taking away the stuff we had promised to give you, and and we're going to give it away to these people instead. I mean, that is that going to work for the Democrats when it comes to election time? 
No, and we're starting to see that, especially in places like Chicago. You know, Chicago, as you know, the the inner city, the south side, dealing with years of gun violence, poverty. And you've got black folks now saying, wait a second, the Democratic Party's turned on us. I don't think we can support the Democratic Party anymore. We're voting Trump. And I don't know if Democrats are going to wake up, but I think the Biden administration is now. I mean, I think they're, they might lose the black vote um, this time around. But really, you know, what's happening here, getting back to Boston, that's infuriating yeah. so many, uh, is the double standard here as well. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, hey, uh, this, is, this was resources and money promised to the black community. Actually, the black community is saying, no, we've been begging for resources and more money, but you weren't giving it to us, saying it didn't exist. But now it suddenly exists for the migrants. Then adding insult to injury, you've got the governor, Governor Maura Healy, her administration, now asking residents of Boston and Massachusetts to open up their homes for these migrants. And they haven't even done it themselves, the politicians, that is. And by the way, Jonathan, I saw just yesterday, I think it was uh, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, is now saying to people, we'll pay you to take in illegals. And you know how much they're going to pay? They're offering $125 a night for every illegal alien you house. So if you house one, you get almost $4,000 from the city of New York. If you house two, it's almost 8000 If you house a family of four, you might get close to $16,000 a month to put these people in your homes. Now, that's attractive, but my question was, where are you getting that kind of cash that you can say we're going to pay sixteen thousand a month to put up a family of four, and we have millions of these people coming into the country? Where is all that cash coming from? Especially from cities like New York that claim to be strapped. Well, it, it, yeah, the math doesn't add up. It's like two plus two equals five. Uh, it's just all upside down right now, Lars. And you know, another you know angle that I'm going to release uh, next week is that there are actually folks who are actually benefiting from this migrant crisis. Uh, a lot of these uh, restaurant owners, uh, they were given a windfall uh, by the governor of Massachusetts. Uh, one business, local business, catering to the migrants here in Roxbury, she was about to go out of business. But now she's saying that she might make more than a million dollars just in what? the food that she's <laughs> going to be providing. And you're going to see that story coming up. But it saved her business. And she loved the governor. In other words, there's, again, a whole little cottage industry now forming as well from this migrant crisis, and they're benefiting from this. And by the way, Jonathan, since cell phones and uh, WhatsApp and all that is kind of ubiquitous worldwide, can you imagine what the reaction is in other poor countries around the world when their friends who got across the border illegally said, hey, look at the, the hotel room where I'm staying. Look at the food they're serving us. I mean, this is going to be the kind of viral marketing that no private company could ever do. How do you turn the tap off at that point? No, and Lars, wow, you you're, you must be active on TikTok because that's exactly <laughs> what, what's happening, <laughs> Lars. I mean, the videos are everywhere here in Seattle, you know, in Tukwila, Washington, right, out, right outside of downtown Seattle. You know, you've got uh, migrants staying at uh, the Embassy Suites Hotel, and they have a pool, and they're taking photos and videos and sending it back to their friends and family, you know, in Venezuela or even hey. at the border saying, come to Washington. Look what we're getting. Jay Cho, real quick, you're going to be entertaining the folks at the Lewis County Lincoln Dinner tomorrow? Oh, yeah, that's going to be really fun over the weekend. Yeah, good people. Uh, they need uh, coverage in their communities, and, uh, yeah. I'll be out there talking to them about what's happening in the media and how uh, 
this community can be served as well. Jonathan Cho, you're a great journalist at the Discovery Institute. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls, 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. On my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it slipping, coffee check. Talk to doctor now and share. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Doctors Without Borders is delivering life-saving medical care where it's needed most in communities around the world. From bandaging war-wounded patients in Sudan to providing clean drinking water in Haiti, we're in more than 70 countries worldwide, bringing patients from sick to recovering, from emergency to aid, from crisis to care. This life-saving care is made possible by a global movement of supporters like you. Thank you. Stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday, live on the Radio Northwest. Now we're covering the states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And I say thanks to all 26 of our radio stations that carry this program and to everybody who listens to it as well. Our poll on X today, we come up with a brand new question out of the news of the day. This one is very much the Pacific Northwest. Should lawmakers ban you? from using natural gas in your home or business. Uh, there's a there's a notice that went out today saying, vote no, your state lawmakers, on House Bill 1589, which bans natural gas and forces you to pay the cost thirty to $70,000 if you already have a house that's got heat, from gas, water heat from gas, a cook stove from gas, thirty to $75,000 to convert your home over from gas to electric, and they want you to pay that, and they do not want you to be able to buy natural gas. So should lawmakers ban you from using natural gas in your home or business? My answer is no. 
Today's poll can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Your calls now on this First Amendment Friday. Let's go to Jewel. Hey, Jewel, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Let me just quickly get you Okay, hey, Lars. Um, I just don't understand why we don't concentrate more on term limits. I We've been concentrating on it for out. a few decades. You have to get them passed. And are you suggesting well, at the federal level or at the state level? All levels. Okay, I well. Politicians <laughs> need to be reminded it's a job of service. I agree. I agree with you. But the reason I ask that, Jewel, is you want them in the state of Oregon, state of Washington, put a ballot measure on and and pass okay. the ballot measure saying you can't run for the U.S. Congress, so House or Senate, you know, if you've already uh, fulfilled two terms or three terms, whatever the number is you want. Do it the same thing for the state legislatures. I'd be I'd vote for it but put it on the ballot or get somebody to introduce in the legislature. Although I'll tell you in both Oregon and Washington, your likelihood of getting anything like that through past the Democrats is almost zero at the federal level. I think you might almost have to have a constitutional uh, amendment and those are extraordinarily hard. Although we have, we have amended the constitution. That's why the president is term limited to two terms, uh, but senators and reps are not. You want to get it changed? You could put in a statute, but then the Congress could just change it uh, down the line. So the best place to put it would be in the U.S. Constitution, which, again, is very, very hard. So when you say concentrate, if you've got 100 million Americans to concentrate real hard, it won't change any of it until you change the rules. And the rules can be changed. Okay. We used to have presidents who could serve three terms. Now we have presidents who may only serve two terms. It, it takes that kind of change. I think we should have three terms across the board, including the president. So three, three terms, terms for the out. Senate, which is 18 years, three terms for the House, which is six years. That's what you want? I want, if you if you did a term at the House, that's a term that's one of your three terms. You know, if you, if you've, you it's got to get back to being a service. Not I, I totally agree, but some, the best way to change it is probably to get different people in the office. I mean, I'm not against the term limit idea. The difficulty of actually putting it in the rules is going to be there. The, the folks who are there do not want to be term limited. The ones who are already past the term limit would not want to be limited. And the persons who've already done, say, two terms in the House, and they plan on three or four more terms. So the best, the fastest way you can solve it right now is to get that commitment from the individual candidate saying, I will resign at the end of my third term in the House of, Rep of Representatives. Or I will, if I become a senator, I will resign after my second term and open up the seat for somebody else. But that's the, that's the fastest way you could get to the solution. So what I'm trying to do is say, this is how to get to it, is get people to commit to it while you're working on changing the rules. I mean, I, I point out, Sure. America used to sure. let presidents serve three terms. FDR was the last guy to do it. After that, you only get two terms, period. But you have to change the rules. And if you say, well, we just want people to think about it real hard, that ain't going to do it, Jewel. So, no, you know, yeah, get... right. But I, I think that's a focus that would take a, 
a lot of the problems and put them over the edge and be gone with them. The, know, other, uh, the other concern I've always raised, Jewel, is this. If you limit the, you know, the number of terms somebody's in, so right now they build seniority and power and positions and all that the longer they're there. That's the way it works. I don't think that's the best. It's like saying in any workplace, the guy who's been here or the gal who's been here the longest knows the best how to do this job. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not true, right? You know, you could walk into a workplace and say, that's the smartest guy on the shift. And you say, yeah, but he's the most uh, junior member in seniority, so nobody's going to trust him to do anything. You say, but he seems to be the best worker. Doesn't matter. He's not senior. And unions reinforce that nonsense as well. But when you, if you right. say, we're going to limit the terms, do you know who I think grows more powerful? The bureaucracy. And you know what I think might work? And I've, I've and shot they, this idea. And that needs to be limited, too. I, I agree with you. Bureaucracy uh, needs to be limited. How about this? If you could get a future Republican Congress, because the Democrats will not do this, to say, no one may work in federal employment longer than 10 years or 12 years, whatever the number is. And after that, it's back to the private sector. You'd get a fresh flow of new ideas and fresh faces. Right now, it is virtually impossible to fire any federal bureaucrat, and that's the biggest part of the problem. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Are you ready? To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday! Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog face pony show. Call 866 Hey Lars. That's 866 Hey Lars. Thank you. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's my favorite day of the week, First Amendment Friday. And it's really appropriate that a young lady just called, uh, Jewel, and she was saying, what about term limits? Can we just focus on term limits for members of Congress, uh, presumably members of the state legislature as well? And there are pluses and minuses to all of it. In general, I'd be perfectly okay with term limits for members of Congress. By the way, this segment of the show is brought to you by 540training.com. Concealed carry, home invasion defense, and personal defense online at 540training.com. So I want to 
welcome to the program Air Force veteran Monique Despain, who's running for the U.S. Congress in Oregon's 4th District to replace the incumbent and, I think, corrupt Val Hoyle, who's currently in Congress. And, uh, Monique, welcome back to the program. Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me back. Let me ask you something. Uh, would you be willing to, to make a personal term limit pledge for yourself? I already have, Lars. It's on my uh, website. I think it's on my website. It's on my Facebook and social media. I did commit to that. I signed a pledge and joined about 113 other Congress people in Congress right now to commit to enacting term limits, three in the House, three terms in the House, and two terms in the Senate. Okay, but, but my question was a little bit different. I'm going to be specific. Would you make a personal commitment, not I will vote for it when it comes up, and if they make that the rule, that's the rule. I'd like to, I suggested that the fastest way to get at this, um, I know that to put effective term limits on members of the House and Senate really takes a constitutional amendment, just as it took a constitutional mm -hmm. amendment to move from three terms for president to two terms for president, but that's locked in now. But if you want to get that done, that's going to take the better part of a decade if it happens at all. And there will be powerful forces fighting against it. In the meantime, what if we start asking everybody like you, uh, will you mm -hmm. make a personal commitment? If I'm elected, I'll serve no more than, and you pick the number, three terms. And, uh, well, and, and if you, you go ahead. How long would you like to see me in Congress turning around the mess that we all see today? I'd, if you do it. I'd like to see you in there for three terms and then come home and replace you with somebody else who will do it for three terms because I understand the downside that the best term limit is voters and that if you say, but what if this member of Congress is really doing his or her job, why can't we have him or her for a fourth term or a fifth term? And the answer is because we've tried that and we've got a bunch of lifers back there who develop name familiarity, big campaign war chests, and, of course, incumbency itself, you know this, you're running against Val Hoyle. Incumbency alone exactly. gives her about a 90% chance of winning. So how long do I want you there? As long as it's term limits, if you're in favor of it, would you make a personal commitment? Yes, I would, because I am sincere. I am not interested in being a career politician, never have been. I'm fine with three terms in the House and two terms in the Senate. I think that's perfectly all right. Now. How about this challenge to Val Hoyle? Is she really going to be held to account for the monies that she shuffled off to a nonprofit uh, that was that was uh, that had been put together uh, by this weed outfit called Lamota? I'm I'm not insulting them, by the way, folks. Lamota means the weed in Span in Spanish. So, are, is she ever going to be held to account for the fact that she just absolutely refuses to go along with the federal investigators? Well, you know, I'm doing my part to make sure she's held accountable. The last time we spoke about this, um, I had just sent a letter to the U.S. Attorney for the District of Oregon urging the U.S. Attorney to expand their investigation into Val Hoyle and this very uh, this grant that you're talking about. And um, that only by expanding their investigation would it be complete and we would get to the truth and the bottom of it. And, of course, that's when the rule of law should be applied um, evenly on, on everyone. So that's the hope. Um, five days after I sent that letter, they did, in fact, expand their investigation, and they subpoenaed uh, the bully 
for all the information regarding this grant. So I think we're on the right track, and I'm hoping that the U.S. attorney continues to do her job. By the way, I want people to understand just how clear-cut a case of corruption I believe this is. Because Val Hoyle mm -hmm. was the head of Boley, Bureau of Labor and Industries, and she was getting campaign money from, from LaModa, the weed outfit. And, uh, and, and at the same time, LaModa set up a private nonprofit for the ridiculous job of preparing people to work in the retail business of weed. Now, I can't imagine that it takes a lot of preparation to work a cash register at a weed store. I mean, and, and I would expect that's the job of the private business that's running, even though I don't like the weed business. You want to prepare somebody for the job, bring them into your company, and train them. That's your job. She shuffled 500000 like money. Yeah. What's mm -hmm. that? It's not like they're short on money. They have bags of cash that they're giving away to Democrats. Not well, they like they're short to. on money and need. It's not like they need half a million dollars of tax dollars. Nope. Uh, to train their employees. That so, so the the quid pro quo that phrase that we got to know so well in you know in 2019 uh, because of the impeachment and because of Ukraine back then. Well, what was mm -hmm. the quid pro quo? Val Hoyle shuffles half a million to a nonprofit doing a ridiculous job for Lamoda you know, as LaModa's nonprofit side, and then Val Hoyle gets campaign cash in return. That seems like a very clear-cut quid pro quo, doesn't it? Absolutely. Clear, uh, classic um, pay-to-play scheme where we have career politicians doing favors for their special interest groups. Uh, in this case, Val uh, has a special relationship with the marijuana company that is known to be breaking the law all the time. As you know, they're behind on paying their taxes, but she By wants millions. to give them more taxes. Millions of, I think, six or seven million. They've been investigated before for corrupt activities, and they've been sued, I think, 40, 50 times in our Oregon Circuit Courts. Yeah, and by the way, I know this is more of a state issue than it is a federal issue, So, but as marijuana legalization spreads across America, Washington State says you can only have five retail outlets. They haven't had the kind of problems that Oregon does. At the peak, I think LaModa was somewhere in 20-plus retail outlets, and they were generating a lot of money but not paying their taxes, and they were taking some of the money they apparently saved by not paying their taxes and giving it to politicians uh, in the form of what I think were thinly disguised bribes to people like Shamia Fagan, uh, to Tina Kotek, to Val Hoyle, to all these people. So it was a really corrupt kind of situation, and some of it was created by the way that the state regulates that. Would you mind uh, telling folks where to find your website and help out your campaign to replace Val Hoyle for three terms? No, certainly. My website is moniqueforcongress.com, F-O-R spelled out. Monique for Congress.com. And if you check the news there, you'll see my prior interviews with you and press releases regarding this um, activity of my corrupt opponent, Val Hoyle. And you can also go to our microsite, whatsvalhiding.com. Just for your reading ease, it brings all of the news of the last couple of years about these characters you just laid out. That's a good way to do it. Monique Despain, who's running for Congress to replace Val Hoyle. And if anybody thinks Val Hoyle is not corrupt, I'd love to hear the argument. Why do you give half a million dollars to a nonprofit to train four or five people to be retail clerks in a pot shop? You're listening to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show.
the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Learn more at stjude.org. Senator John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to tell you about a sign I'm seeing right now. They're not going to telegraph it out loud. But I think the Democrats have already decided they're going to find a way to dump Biden before the primaries even finish, or at least before the convention. Now, let me give you my evidence. Has the DNC decided to tell voters to cast ballots for none of the above? Well, there was a big campaign in Michigan for their primary in which none of the above or uncommitted won two delegates against Joe Biden. He's still got a pile of delegates. But the fact is there was an effort to try to say, you know, don't vote for Biden. Now, they're not going to vote for Trump. These are committed Democrats. But they don't like Biden. Some of them don't like him because of the war against the Hamas terrorists. Figure that out. Americans who are against waging war against terrorists. But, hey, they're on the Democrat side of the aisle. So they made this effort, and I think they got about 13% of the vote in the primary. Now, nowhere near beating Joe Biden. But now, consider this. Washington state Democrats are now being told by the largest labor union in the state, the USCW, that's the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. They've got 50,000 members. And what are they telling them? They're not telling them to vote for Biden. Because if you just ask me generically, hey, <clears throat> who are labor unions going to advise voting for in the primary or in the general? I'd say they're going to say vote for the Democrat. In this case, Joe Biden is the odds on favorite to have the Democrat nomination. But that's not what they're doing. In a statement that NBC News got a hold of after the executive board of the union voted this week, the Washington Union calls Biden an ally to workers over the last four years, but suggested it is not confident in his ability to defeat Trump in November. Currently, many voters and the USCW 3000 executive board feel the best path uh, to, to have the best nominee and to defeat Trump is to vote uncommitted. Now, this is kind of stunning. Now, what does it mean if in the primary you vote uncommitted? Well, in Michigan, uncommitted got two of the convention delegates. What would happen if you got a large number of uncommitted delegates who all show up at the national convention this summer? Those people don't have to vote for Biden to get the nomination. And the more uncommitted delegates you get, 
the more opportunity there is to pick somebody other than Joe Biden. And the fact that a major American labor union is advocating for that, I think is fantastic. But it also tells you something about what the DNC sees in its future or lack of future in Joe Biden. Let's go to Eric. Hey, Eric, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. I take it you heard us talking after a caller asked about term limits. What's on your mind? Yeah, I, personally, I live here in California, and they have that. The problem is you vote in somebody to be a state assembly or something like that, and they keep the same people, and the lobbyists are the ones, ones that are writing the laws, not the, the congressperson or something like that. So you have no effect on who you vote somebody in. They really don't do anything to sit up there as a figurehead doing nothing. It's yep. the lobbyists and the staff people that are writing it. And there's well, you and have no way to do anything to those people. Eric, you know, I agree with you about the lobbyists, but I think there's an even bigger problem, and that's the bureaucracy. Because here's what happens. I mean, just imagine it this way. You come in to either the Congress or you come into the state legislature. You said, you said you're in California. And you say, I'm a new congressman. We're going to have a new law that, that d directs the state government to do this thing or that thing or the other thing. And then the bureaucracy, the people within the bureaucracy who actually have their hands on the levers that make things go. And they say, oh. Yeah, they pass this law. They want us to do more of this, and we're just not going to do it. And if you think that isn't possible, it actually happens right now. I mean, years ago, people in your state, I know, passed a multi-billion dollar bond measure and said, we want to build more water projects in the state. And why? Because California, during rainy years, gets enough water to carry you through all the drought years with no problem whatsoever. So the voters said, okay, we'll give you billions of dollars to do it. Eric, do you know how much has happened with those billions of dollars? Not a darn thing. Well, Not I mean, a darn thing. Yeah, be accomplished. They spent money, part, but they haven't accomplished anything. Well, in part because of the lobbyists, but I think in greater part because if you've got a state uh, agency who's charged with building water projects or approving water projects, and all those people are committed environmentalists, and they say, we don't like building water projects. And for the life of me, I've never understood that one because if you build, if you make an artificial lake and during fat years for water, you fill it up. And during the thin years for water, you keep the streams and the rivers flowing. Is it bad for wildlife? No, it's good. Is it bad for fish? No, it's good. Is it bad for people? No, it's good. How about power production? That too. How about flood control? That too. Who doesn't like the idea? And some of the people who don't like the idea are these really extremist environments. They call themselves environmentalists, but what they want to do is they don't want human beings to have any effect on the surface of planet, of planet Earth. They just say, no, you oh, can't yeah. imp impound water. Even though to most of us, if you said, well, don't you get better stream flows that are more consistent? Yeah. Less flooding? Yeah. Uh, the fish like it? Because if it's an otherwise dry August, uh, a full reservoir will make sure all those rivers and streams keep on flowing during the dry times, but only if you save the water up. So what happens? The lobbyists may have some effect on those state agencies, and don't don't you know neglect to take a look at that as well. But what they also have, the, and they'll have some effect on who gets elected. But if you pass a law and say we're going to do things this way, but the bureaucracy is dead set against it, 
Nah, at that point, uh, nothing's going to happen. I appreciate the call, Eric. Thanks. Let's go to Weldon. Hey, Weldon, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Uh, Lars, I think I have an idea how we can stop being sheeple regarding the uh, high prices on the express lanes. I think we go ahead. Oh, freeway tolls. Our toll yeah. Freeway tolls. In the express lane, you go ahead and pay your toll. You get in the express lane, put on your flashers, and you drive 20 miles an hour. <laughs> now, well, how does that end up with a good result for you or anybody else? Well, it will get. It will, it's a protest. It sends a message. It, yeah. it makes the express lanes useless. You'll move over to the other lane. And uh, it could actually turn them unprofitable if it becomes the slow lane. Who's going to pay to be in the slow lane? By the way, can I point something out that they're already kind of unprofitable? Weldon, would you yeah, go into any enterprise that. where 60% of the revenue you collect from your customers gets spent on the process of collecting the money? Yes. No, you would. It's just, it, it is intolerable. It is, it is ineffective. Yeah, because what they're saying is, the state of Oregon is saying, we expect to spend more than 50% of the, of the cost of the tolls on collecting the tolls itself. And you say, gee, in Washington State, they collect and they spend maybe 30% of what they take in tolls. That's bad enough. The idea that an automated tolling system is going to take either a third or two-thirds of all the money the state collects. So all you're doing is artificially impoverishing your own constituents. And I think the real agenda is what they call congestion pricing. They don't want you on that freeway at all. They want to discourage you from taking any trip on that freeway. So they say, if we charge you enough money, you're only going to drive on the freeway when you absolutely have to, and the rest of the time you'll stay off of it because they don't like cars. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Get screened. Visit cancer.org slash get screened to learn more. A reminder, you are in control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails, and that goes double on First Amendment Fridays, where we open up the phone lines to every subject under the sun, and of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line at 866-HEY-LARS. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check us out on Instagram as well. Got some fun there. Uh, and you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. Uh, I wanted to talk about the U.S. economy because I'm not an economist, nor am I an expert or claim to be, but it really seems like the U.S. economy is teetering on the edge of something awful. I just don't know what the awful thing is just yet. So I've invited my friend Phil Kirpin on, who's president of American Commitment, to get his take on this. Hey, Phil, welcome back. Hey, Lars, great to be with you. So we've got uh, the, the administration, the White House, for the most part, uh, bragging, gee, we had this uh, great economic growth from October through December uh, that they say was propelled by healthy consumer spending, although we now have a record amount of consumer debt. Uh, so I kind of wonder about that as well. 3.2% on an annual pace. Things are looking good, are they? 
Uh, no, that was one of many recent uh, economic data releases where you had kind of a favorable headline and uh, the uh, Democrats kind of pushed those around and the media touted them. But if you drill into the numbers, they're not so favorable. And the fastest growing sector in that GDP report was government consumption expenditures. And uh, the government sector uh, has now outpaced the private sector for a pretty, pretty strong streak. I think it's eight consecutive quarters, two full years now, where government spending is growing faster than private sector spending. Um, that is kind of like a game of musical chairs, and the music's going to stop at some point because you can't just run indefinite uh, trillion-dollar deficits uh, without paying for it at some point, one way or the other way. And what I mean by that is either broad-based tax hikes, uh, potentially with the expiration of the Trump tax cuts, if that's allowed to occur, if Democrats control Congress, and or with the Fed monetizing the debt and the Fed stepping in and becoming the buyer for a lot of those bonds and just printing the money. And, of course, if that happens... We're going to have another episode like we did in the 1970s, where inflation went up to 9%, just like this time, came down to 2 or 3%, and then went to double digits. And we could be in the middle of sort of a double peak uh, inflation formation uh, if government spending continues on the face that it's on and uh, the Fed ends up being uh, the financier of all that debt uh, through money creation. Well, you mentioned, Phil, uh, all the big chunk of that that's government spending. So we've got... Uh, some job gains that are net gains after, you know, the pandemic downturn, uh, but, but not that much, a couple of million jobs. But as you point out, the biggest sector of growth for, uh, you know, for more jobs is government. And when government spends money on services, it still counts within that consumer spending, doesn't it? Or, or do they actually divide it's it out? It's a separate category. It's government consumption. It's expenditures. It's a, a separate category, but it's been outpacing, uh, the private economy, almost every GDP report. I think, uh, like I said, I think it's seven or eight in a row now. So it's uh, it's been the main driver. And as I said, that you know that ends up uh, you got to pay for that one way or the other. We all we're all going to pay for that one way or the other. And of course, uh, I, I think we're all going to pay for it most likely through another round of inflation. And the the inflation problem has not actually ended for people who are outside of kind of the elite uh, bubble. Uh, and, you know, you see these things like Paul Krugman goes on Twitter and he's like, it's, uh, you know, food prices have not gone up. It's all a myth. And you're like, like, could this guy go to a store and look at the actual <laughs> price of anything? Uh, you know, right? I mean, it's like oh, I, I, the, the, the people who are claiming that, uh, oh, inflation's not as bad as the 18% that the official figures say, it's much worse than the 18% that the official figures say in the last three years, uh, because that includes, you know, the way they calculate that 18%, they have yeah. in that calculation yeah. a big decrease in the price of health insurance. They're claiming we all saved a huge amount of money from health insurance. Going, that has not we happened did? to anyone I know. No, hold on. We that did? Where? We did not. Only in their calculations, not in the actual world that exists. And so you get the price of everything going up much more uh, than their official number. And then, according to them, it's offset by these huge savings in health insurance that literally no one has seen anywhere except in their weird model, however they calculate. It doesn't exist in the real world. And you look at the prices of, of actual things that people have to buy, you know, the 
the cost of buying a medium house, the median house, the mortgage payment, it's something like up 70% in the last three years because of what's happened. To, you know, home prices continue to rise, but the interest rates have gone haywire. And you look at what's happening at the grocery store, a lot of food items are up 25 30 40%, not the official 18%. There are a lot of things you can't do without, and that's exactly why uh, consumer debt is up so much, to your point. I mean, if the price of everything goes up and there are a lot of things people just can't do without, uh, their household needs it, they have to put it on a credit card, and that's why we've got record credit card debt, and uh, we've got a big debt bomb on the individual side as well as what's going on in government, and that bill's going to have to be paid sooner or later. We're going to have you know a huge wave of bankruptcies and all the uh, attendant problems that, that come with that potentially. And so you see these headlines, story after story, large about, you know, why don't people know how good they have it? Why don't they appreciate the great <laughs> Biden economy? And it's like, because it's not great, because prices have gone up a lot more than incomes have gone up for the vast majority of American households who now either have to go without things that they used to be able to afford or they've got to pile the debt on. Well, and the, the other thing, Phil, is you've got mortgage rates well above 7%. And I know everybody listening says, well, I'm not shopping for a house, so why do I care? Well, you should care because I could see people getting pushed into this. One of the most common reasons for somebody to sell a house is say, hey, dad just got a new job in a different city. Well, that means we have to move there, but we, we can't afford two places, so we've got to sell this one. And then you go out to the marketplace and say, hey, I need to sell my house in an environment of 7% plus mortgage rates. And your real estate agent said, and I, I once had an economist explain to me, there's a direct correlation. If the interest rate goes up, the price of the house has to go down. You know, except supply is so Normally, short that yeah. it's not going down. Exactly. And so Normally, so, the price would go down and the market would clear. But with so many people saying, hey, I'm going to stick with my 25 or 3%, there's no inventory. And especially in places that have urban growth boundaries and crazy zoning rules and all this kind of stuff, like on the West Coast, you can't build anything. And so you can't build. The people who have the current houses don't want to sell them because they've got low rates. And so you've got very little inventory on the market. And so when people do need to buy a house, they do need to move. You've got high prices and high interest rates, a double whammy instead of the normal circumstance. So the housing market is really, really messed up uh, as a consequence of what we've seen. And... Uh, you know that, and the volumes are through the floor. I mean, they're they they're the real estate volumes are collapsing. You know, you, all these people who make their living in real estate are looking for, for other jobs right now because there's just no transaction volume in most markets. Well, and the other piece I wanted to ask you about is, and this gets more into the, how the the federal government borrows all this money. Now, I always thought of treasury bonds as ten and twenty and thirty year things, but apparently about a third of the U.S. debt is in really short term stuff: one years, two years, three years, and that adjusts with the marketplace. So they're having one and two and three year money that's now in higher in a higher rate environment, and they say, yeah, we borrowed a billion dollars or ten billion dollars at this rate, but now the rate's going up dramatically, and the government has to pay it, and that's why we've suddenly hit this point where the interest on the debt is now bigger than the entire Pentagon budget, and and that doesn't sound like it can go on for very long, and those rates don't look like they're coming down. I'll give you the last thirty seconds. Yeah, it drives me nuts. Look, when Trump was in and uh, we had these record low interest rates, a lot of people, including Larry Kudlow, were saying, let's bring back 50-year bonds, let's have 100-year bonds, let's lock oh, in these hell. rates for as long as we can. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen uh, for whatever reason. And so you're right, we have a lot of short-term debt that's gotten very expensive on the, on the federal balance sheet. And, you know, this is why, this is one of the reasons that I'm so concerned about kind of a second wave of inflation that could be even worse 
worse than what we just experienced because the the amount of interest expenses spiraling out of control. I don't see any real spending discipline in the federal budget to cut the non-interest spending, and so at some point you're not going to have real buyers for that debt. No, you're going to run out of money altogether. That's Phil Kirpin. Phil, it's a pleasure. He's president of American Commitment. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome. Eight six six. Hey Lars. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Senator John Kennedy on the Washington establishment. The Washington establishment is working harder than an ugly stripper to cover up whatever happened. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your phone calls and your emails. You know, I got an email from uh, somebody today talking about Portland General Electric, which just had an 18% rate hike. Now, you can damn the utilities all day long, but this is being driven by decisions made in Salem, Olympia, and in the U.S. Congress. Now, they've announced as of late yesterday, they will have another rate hike of seven, almost seven and a half, seven point four percent in 2025. So in about, uh, you know, about 15, 16 months, they're going to go up by about 25 percent. Now, if you hate utility companies, go ahead, hate on them. I don't think they deserve it. The fact is, uh, like the email I got said, uh, well, they announced this. The utility says it primarily needs to raise rates to build out grid-scale battery storage to handle the increased amounts of solar and other renewable energy being produced in Oregon. Now, are they doing that on their own? No, they're doing it because their government masters have told them, you will go green. Doesn't matter what it costs, just pass the cost along. And I'd point this out. Oregon now bans any nuclear power at all in the state by law, even though it's home to New Scale, which is the private company that has some of the best nuclear power plant designs in the world. The law in the state also says no new natural gas power generation, that is electricity generation, no expansion of existing natural gas electric generation. The only coal plant in the state of Oregon has already shut down. And one of the two plants at Centralia in Washington State has already been shut down. The region still buys a lot of electric power from coal generation in other states in the region, Wyoming, Montana, places like that. 
So what do they replace this inexpensive power with? They replace it with expensive power, wind and solar, that then has to have these grid-scale battery storage plants to be able to store the electricity because, frankly, the wind does not blow, nor does the sun shine when you need the energy. So you've got to not just generate it at a more expensive rate, but you've got to also store it until you actually need it. This is how cockamamie this whole nonsense is. And as a result, you're paying this. You might as well consider those rate increases to be just a tax imposed by the folks in government. Now, to your calls. Let's go to Cheryl. Hey, Cheryl, it's First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Thank you. Um, this thing with the uncommitted delegates, yeah. um, it reminds me of the superdelegates back when Hillary was yeah. running. Yeah, and, um, 800 of them and, or so, and, right? Yes, yes. There's a difference, though, this year. The Democrats know that Biden cannot go for another four years. So if he's the number one block and the number two block can be the uncommitted un, um, delegates, and he drops out right before the national convention, yep. I think that's how that's a strategy that can make it happen. I think you're right. And, and, and here's and, the question. If you, I mean, if I try to put my brain into the frame of mind of being a Democrat, which is a little hard to do, it, if, I, it, it makes me, hard. I want to take a shower afterwards because I feel so dirty. But, but who are the, who are they going to roll into that spot? Kamala Harris? Not exactly, you know, a, a great candidate. Well, Gavin that, News that is the scary thing. That's but scary. Who, and, who do and, they roll and it in? It may be a mystery. Well, I hope it's not Michelle. Well, but, I keep hearing uh, that theory. I don't honestly think she wants I don't wants think so. I don't think she can win. I think she likes being a rich celebrity, and that's what she is. I She's think, a rich celebrity now, so. and so is her husband. I don't so. know. I don't know, who the, I don't know who they would bring in. And and um, Marianne Williamson or whatever, and, uh, and the other guy, Brian Phillips. The hippie, Phillip, chick. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, like, pulling in point one and point three votes in Democrat states, so... They're not going to be the number two block. And they're not going to do Kennedy. No. I thought of that, too, but they're not going to. And so I don't know who they're going to, who their mystery um, person is, but I don't know. But I think I think that's the strategy that you're going for. Well, I, I think you you may be absolutely right about that, but I just wonder who in the world will they bring in to replace Slow Joe? Because I, I just don't know who they got. Let's go to Ann. Hey, Ann, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Uh, probably about two and a half, maybe three weeks ago, I called you about this bug that's coming in on the uh, Colombian, the Venezuelan, uh, the, all the illegals coming in yeah. uh, to this country. Anyway, I said that they're... Uh, we're in danger of being in, invaded by this bug that comes in in their uh, bedding and in their clothing, boots, etc. Yeah. It's um, called a Trypanosoma cruzi, and uh, it has this um, disease that it passes along through its bites into humans and dogs uh, because it's a bloodsucker little Pajabi, and uh, the disease that it carries is called Chagas Creepy. Chagas, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and it's uh, you were familiar with that term, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
So what do we do anyway, about it? We, we've we've got to we've got to uh, close the border, and we got to start going out and vetting people and and deporting people just as quickly as we can. Uh, I think that's the only solution. I mean, there is nothing else that'll work. I'm not sure we can wait, you know, until Donald Trump comes in. But maybe Joe Biden will get religion and decide this has to be solved. And thanks for the call. This segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles. You pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. It's First Amendment Friday, live on the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog face pony soldier. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is... This is... First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It is First Amendment Friday, my favorite day of the week. We get to talk about anything. And if anybody asks me about my business, I absolutely love my business. I started doing radio about 49 years ago. And since then, anybody who comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to get into the business, I, I say, I'll tell you how to do it. I will tell you how to do it. Most of them don't listen to my advice, but that's okay. And I also warn them, some people make a lot of money in this business. Some people do not. Be aware of that. It is not like a lot of other businesses. But now you've got podcasting. And I have no objection to podcasting at all. In fact, we podcast my show. We take the show and we make it available so people can listen any time or anywhere they want. Literally, I've had American service members during a, the Afghanistan war listening in Afghanistan, and they weren't listening in real time. They were listening to the podcast because uh, they were they were actually listening to it when it's the middle of the night for me. Uh, but it was the middle of the day for them, so I worked out very nicely. What I don't see is a reason to spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to encourage the creation of podcasts when there are already hundreds of thousands of podcasts available worldwide. So I thought we'd talk about what Adam Andrzejewski and his Open the Books organization has found, uh, since he's the CEO and the founder of OpenTheBooks.com, what he's found in the way of taxpayer funding to go out and push the idea of creating brand new podcasts when the world already has a lot of podcasts right now. Adam, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be here, Lars. Thanks for having me back. We found so, 
$324 million on federally funded projects with a podcast attached. And some of these were, you know, they were benign. Others weren't benign. Look, you had like, you know, $2.3 million flow into the University of Houston to actually develop a podcast. And then they study whether or not the podcast helps stop the spread of AIDS. You had $4 million flow into the Facts Not Fear campaign in Wichita, Kansas, which crafted a socially sensitive message on COVID-19 to promote health literacy. You know, you had, you know, then you had absolutely bonkers, crazy podcasts to the tune of, of about $10 million. $10 million to do what? Well, you had, you know, 400000 flowed from the, depart- the ag department on regeneration farming with a podcast and an episode on building a queer farmer community. You what? had 200, yeah, I mean, just absolutely crazy stuff. So you had 225000 flow from the National uh, Endowment of the Arts for not the little engine that could, but the little pronoun that could. You had a half million dollars flow from the National Science Foundation of all places for a podcast called Brains on the Move. This was for children that featured superheroes on how to stop the coronavirus these superheroes were entitled Sergeant Socially Distanced, The Masked Mentor, The Vaccinator, oh my God. <laughs> and, and The Masked Mentor. I mean, many of these things obviously had no efficacy to prevent the, the spread of COVID. Well, not only that, but I know Adam usually stick to the numbers, but some of the messaging here seems really disturbing to me. You point out that a couple of hundred thousand dollars went to the National Endowment for the Humanities, which I think we should do away with. And just, you know, if, if it's going to go out and fund art and culture and all that, let the private sector fund it. Private sector funding already far exceeds what the government does. So usually the government ends up funding the kind of stuff that nobody else wants to put money behind, which doesn't sound like it's something we ought to do. I mean, if there's a crazy scheme out there and people want to do a podcast about it, go ahead. Who's going to fund it? Well, not the taxpayers. Uh, well, I can't find funding. Well, then you probably shouldn't do it. But sacred and profane is one of the things yeah. that came out of that National Endowment for the Humanities. And they, they actually had an episode on how Satanists play an important role in American religious and political life, showing us how ideas about religion, pluralism, and separation of church and state are changing the U.S. This sounds like a decidedly anti-religion kind of effort of government, which makes it a violation of the First Amendment, doesn't it? Yeah, look, these are these are propaganda campaigns. They're hyping silly notions, radical ideologies, and Lars, it's paid for by you and I. And, and look, why? it's not only it's not only domestic, it's also foreign. We found a hundred thousand dollars went of US taxpayer money, funded by you and I to teach podcasting in Brazil. 70000 went to teach podcasting in Yemen. We actually tried to get to the bottom of that. All the podcasts were in Arabic. We don't speak Arabic, but we use translator programs. We wanted to know if that $70,000 in Yemen, which would go a long ways in Yemen, hard currency, if that actually fell into the hands of the Houthis, who control 70% of the uh, country and, and all the population centers, and they're obviously the ones firing on our U.S. military right now. We were not able to tie that out. But look, U.S. taxpayer money went to teach podcasting in Bulgaria and Zimbabwe. Here's here's just one of the 
the podcast that you and I funded, five grand in Zimbabwe. It's a lot of money in Zimbabwe. Yeah. It went for, uh, it went for the issue. It went to, uh, on a podcast for uh, st- uh, the issues and stories of trans and intersex lives of people in Zimbabwe. I mean, utterly, utter crap. Well, and, and it does sound like it's very much about indoctrination. Because if you're saying, hey, maybe religion's not all it's cut out to be, and you shouldn't believe in Jesus, believe in Satan instead, that's the kind of stuff where you cross the line. And if you're handing money off to an Arab-language podcast, and you don't even, you can't assure us, by the way, is any of this stuff being used to push, say, terrorist organizations like the Houthi terrorists? And you say, if we're helping them communicate, we're helping the people who are out there, as you point out, attacking our military and our commercial shipping on the open seas. That's working directly against American interests. Is anybody in the government overseeing where this money is going and whether or not it's going to things that are antithetical to the U.S.? Well, I think, you know, it's plain that, every, you know, this kind of funding is going towards tearing down everything that is beautiful and just about the greatest nation ever conceived in the history of the world. I mean, we found we found $300,000 in the National Endowment of the Humanities for a, for a podcast on history that features episodes with clear ideological bends. For example, Jamestown and the myth of the sovereign family. You know, here's another one. A medieval anti-racist. So think about this. You've got knights and kings and queens, and all of a sudden, you've got a Marxist in the mix. (laughs) Well, and and what really stuns me is this. Because when I first got into radio, it cost hundreds of thousands or millions to do a broadcast. But today, you could literally do a podcast with a $50 smartphone that you buy at Walmart and, and, and a nothing microphone or even the microphone on the... How do they manage to spend millions and millions of dollars to get people to do podcasts you could do literally for less than $100 and put it on the web? Now, maybe somebody listens to it, maybe they don't. That's Adam Angievsky. You can find all the numbers he was just talking about in his reports at OpenTheBooks.com. He's the CEO and founder of OpenTheBooks.com. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. We'll talk about the bombshell that just went off in the Joe Biden impeachment efforts because his brother confirms Joe got money from communist China. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. 
We're painting a room. Colors an entirely new outlook on life. Where installing a window offers a clearer vision of the future. Where renovating a home can renew a community. Where setting a level can balance a life. You see, Habitat for Humanity builds houses and so much more. So what will you build? Visit Habitat.org to learn more. At the American Veterinary Medical Association annual convention in Indianapolis, we caught up with Dr. Tom Meyer of Vancouver, Washington. Visits to the veterinary hospital are not very rewarding either for the client or the patient. We need to get our patients into the veterinary hospital so that it is not a traumatic experience. We need to be learning about their behavior and rewarding them to make it an enjoyable experience in coming to the veterinary practice. There's more valuable information at avma.org. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It is a mirage to believe that Hunter Biden was engaged in international business. This was uh, a bribe masquerading as an international business transaction. Nothing more, nothing less. That is Matt Gates, a member of Congress from the state of Florida. And I thought that was appropriate to introduce what is a real bombshell. And that is testimony, not from Joe Biden. I can't wait if one of these days they call Joe Biden in to testify in his own defense, although I don't think that's likely. But instead, they had James Biden. And I'll give you the headline to this up front. We now know that when James Biden was interviewed as part of the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry, he confirmed that a $40,000 check made out to Joe Biden, and this was 2017, seven years ago, used money that James got from a Chinese government-linked company. Now, the question up till now, and it, it doesn't have to be the whole question when it comes to impeachment, because if you think that impeachment only happens when somebody has committed a criminal act or is convicted of a criminal act, it does not. Donald Trump was not convicted of any criminal act in his phone call to Ukraine. That got him impeachment number one and acquittal number one. Uh, then in impeachment number two, they wanted to suggest that Donald Trump had committed insurrection by giving a speech on January 6th of 2021. And uh, the Senate again acquitted him in that case. But you don't have to be face a criminal charge. And in fact, I'd point out on the second accusation made by the House of Representatives on Trump that he engaged in insurrection after Joe Biden got into office, after he named that loser Merrick Garland. Thank God he never got on the Supreme Court. But after he named Garland to attorney general, uh, Garland's DOJ could have, if they thought they had a case, brought insurrection charges against Donald Trump. They never did. What high crimes and misdemeanors in the Constitution actually means is that you have done things that are outrageous and that do not put the American people first. Uh, it does not mean a criminal conviction for any criminal charge. But in this case, the question all along has always been, well, but did Joe Biden benefit from these deals that Hunter Biden was making overseas? Well, now we know he did. He got about 40,000 bucks. And his own brother says the money came from a communist Chinese company. Now, why is that so concerning? The company, by the way, and it's important to understand what the company is, CEFC China Energy. 
controlled by Beijing. And why is that significant to you or me today, seven years later? Joe Biden and his Biden crime family got millions of dollars from a number of countries, including Ukraine, including Kazakhstan, including Moscow, and including communist China. So what is Joe Biden doing today that affects you and me? He is saying we're going to take the amazing wealth of minerals and energy that God blessed America with, natural gas, coal, uh, oil, all of those things, and we're not going to use any of that. Instead, we're going to use battery-powered cars made in China, solar panels made in China, and windmills made in China. And if you wonder, what would ever cause anybody who's serving as President of the United States to want to pass up the opportunity to use all the abundant energy resources that we have right here and buy them from an evil entity like communist China? Well, the answer, pretty simply, is millions of dollars into the bank accounts of the Biden crime family that bought them off. We have a president who is bought and paid for by Beijing. And on that note, I've got a naysayer, and I'm curious what he has to say. We love naysayers on this program. Uh, JC, welcome to the program. What do you and I disagree about today? Well, on exactly what you're talking about, Lars, and first of all, again, always thank you for taking my call. I hope you stick around later so um, you can ask me some tough questions, and I can probably ask you some pretty tough questions. Okay, um, fair enough. What do we disagree around, about, though? Um, what, what do we disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Well, the, there's no evidence. I mean, $40,000, well, you're talking about, they said, and I'm not, I guess I can mention Comer and Jordan and whoever else was impeached, trying to impeach Biden, millions, millions of dollars, and a $40,000 loan repayment is all you have for evidence, Lars? No, not a, no, but hold on, hold on, not no. a loan, because, okay. J.C., how do you know it's a loan? How do you know it was from China? Well, no, I know it's from China because Joe Biden's brother, James, testified <laughs> under oath to the U.S. Congress that the money came from China. No, the money was the, he had businesses with China. It was put in his account. Now, do you when you say have money, hold on, account, hold on. I'm not understanding the distinction you're making. James Biden says the money he wrote in that forty thousand dollar check to his brother was from a Chinese company that is owned and controlled by the Chinese government. So. What are you saying that's different from that? Well, no, if it's true, if that's what they proved that being true, then, yeah, he should be. Well, do you think James um, Biden has think... any incentive to tell the Congress, yeah, my brother got money, I paid him 40 grand, and it came from a communist Chinese co uh, government-controlled energy company? What incentive would he have to throw his own brother under the bus unless he thought, I don't, care, I don't want to commit I don't perjury? About, I don't care about incentives. I don't care about incentives. I just, I just want them to tell the truth, right? That's all we care about. Well, Americans what do you think to, is the truth about whether or not Biden's crime family made $24 million from overseas and nothing was get? In other words, you've made money in your life, haven't you, J.C.? Uh, yes, many. Okay, many, you've worked at a job, so many, when you go to the job at the end of two weeks, you get your paycheck. Have you ever worked at a job where people paid you money for no reason at all? Uh, no, I'm not like you, Lars, so no. no. Okay, well, I, I'll ignore the insult, but J.C., <laughs> what, was, what, was the, what was the Biden crime family selling that was worth millions of dollars? 
I don't know. You tell me, Lars. You show me. I will. I will tell you. Influence. Influence with Joe Biden. Influence while he was vice president. Influence. How? Why is that BS? It is because there's no proof, Lars. Now you you had a caller tell you. No, I'm asking you, JC. JC, what were they selling that was worth? I mean, usually if somebody said, "Hey, I just made a big sale and I made ten million dollars," you'd say, "Well, wow, what'd you sell?" And if your friend said, "Well, even if you I, sell nothing, you're a great seller." I mean, don't we want Trump lost billion? You said you even said it yourself that Trump lost money while he was in office. He did so about a billion dollars. I know that's terrible. That's great. That's do you, terrible. Do you person. know anybody who would give up? Money. Hold on, I've got, I've got a serious them. question to ask you, JC. Do you know well, anybody? Serious question. Do you know anybody who would give up one third of their net worth to serve the American people? Most presidents get rich after their president. Yeah, I, Donald I, I've, Trump I've lost money. I've never met a good person, good person, good business person that would do that because they're a terrible business person for doing that for one thing. Well, and what if? Hold on, JC. Have you ever done anything out of the goodness of your heart? I mean, if somebody said we'd like you to be mayor or yeah, serve yeah, on the I, city yeah, council. I, yeah, I should have. I should have went to January sixth. I would have been out of the goodness of my heart, right? That throw overthrow democracy. You're not That's taking any of these part. questions seriously, but I I do take them seriously. When people do something like serve their country and produce a fantastic, made great again America with low unemployment and a prosperous economy and a safe country whose national security is safeguarded and they give up, like Donald Trump did, a third of his net worth to be able to do that. I don't know many people who'd give up a third of their net worth to be a governor or a U.S. senator. They all count on making money. Donald Trump cared more about making this country great again than he ever did about making money and putting it in the bank. But, J.C., you are interesting. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Lots of folks worry about their firearms, but Lars doesn't have to worry about Biden taking his guns. He stores them upstairs. This is the Lars Larson Show. Big Iron is here. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I hope you took note that during the visits, the dueling visits of President Donald Trump to the Texas border with Mexico and the visit by Joe Biden to the border, he had all his note cards stacked up so he knew what he was going to be asked. He knew what he was going to say. He even knew what questions he was supposed to ask because it was all written down for him. He needs that kind of assistance. But one of the things you should have noticed was shipping containers because Texas has managed in about six months to do with shipping containers and a little bit of razor wire what the federal government claims it is incapable of doing, and that's Joe Biden and his Customs and Border Protection. So I thought we'd talk about that with Representative Monica De La Cruz, who is a Republican from Texas. Representative, it's uh, good to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me today. I keep having uh, liberals tell me, yeah, but the Republicans haven't done anything about border security. And yet, in fact, you have. You've passed H.R. 2, and you've got the Container Act. Would you mind telling me about the Container Act? Well, look, here's the fact, is that Democrats continue continuously lie to the American people. But the American people and Hispanic communities here along the border see right through this. 
The House Republicans passed the Secure the Border Act, just as you said. They passed the, Co the Container Act. But really where this burden is falling is on Texans and on the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott. And thank God that Governor Abbott is doing what President Biden has failed over and over to do. Yeah, and he's showing how easy it can be to such an effect that I understand that illegal crossing has gone down dramatically in Texas, and now it's gone up in California, which should be interesting to see how Gavin, uh, Gavin Newsom handles that, or in Arizona. So, so the, the traffickers have figured out it's tough to cross in Texas, easier to go somewhere else, and they're going somewhere else. So why not give the states the authority to do exactly what Texas did and not have to be dragged into court the way the Biden administration, which claims it wants to control illegal entry, and then when a state manages to do it very well, they go to court and sue them to stop them from being effective. That's absolutely in, unacceptable for the Biden administration to stop the states, especially the state of Texas, which right now Texas is on the front line, the only state on the front line protecting America's borders. We've had over 10 million illegal immigrants cross into That's just what we know of. When you talk to Border Patrol agents, they say it's possibly closer to 15 million. We've had close to 200 terrorists from the terrorist watch list caught at our, uh, at our borders. It's just simply unacceptable. Now, President Biden came to Brownsville, Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, after three years three years of not visiting our border. And now, because he sees the Hispanic vote is leaning towards Republicans here in South Texas and along the border, now he shows up for a photo op. I'm talking to a member of Congress, Monica De La Cruz, a Republican from Texas. That's the part I have the toughest time with, is understanding how any Democrat, especially in those in the border states who are seeing what's happening and the damage that's being done to them, to their families, to their communities, could ever cast a ballot for Joe Biden. Well, you're gonna, you're already seeing a difference between the 2020 election and the 2024 election where Republican primary voters are up. The votes are up over 50% while Democrat votes are down 40%. They're saying no more, no more to Joe Biden and his failed economic policy, failed border policy. Inflation is hurting us. This border crisis. Where the burden is, is in communities just like mine, that is over 90% Hispanic. This illegal immigration is cogging up our healthcare system. It's putting a lot of pressure on our local law enforcement. And I believe that not only now in the primary are you seeing, are you seeing the votes shift from Democrat to Republican, but we're going to see it in the general election as well. Representative De La Cruz, what's, what is it going to take, if anything could make it happen, to get the Senate to actually vote on this? I mean, they, they, they shoved that ridiculous package that Langford was involved in, Senator Langford was involved in, that I thought was dead on arrival because it institutionalized 5,000 illegal alien crossings a day. So they're basically going to legalize what Joe Biden was doing illegally. And, and that thing died right away. Speaker Johnson said, no way. So what, it will, what would it take to get the Senate to vote on this bill? And if they want to vote it down, go ahead and then take the consequences from the voters. Or is this thing just dead in the water and not likely to go anywhere? 
Well, the Senate bill was completely unacceptable, not only for that reason, but because it took uh, the power of the states away from the states and into D.C. courts, which is completely unacceptable. What the Senate needs to do is take up H.R. 1. It's been sitting on Chuck Schumer's desk since May, but they fail over and over again. I think what it's going to take is a general election coming up, people becoming more and more frustrated that they are pressured to pass a border-only secure, secure border bill only to secure the border. Look, the pressure was on the president. That's the only reason that he came down to South Texas is because he's seen the general election's votes sway to the Republican side. He's hearing from the American people, from both liberal media and conservative media, that it's completely unacceptable. And that's what drove him to the border this time. That's the only thing that will also drive the Senate to pass a border a border bill that will actually secure our nation's borders. I guess what I wonder is, I know he was very concerned about optics. He shows up in Brownsville where much of the problem has already been dealt with by the state of Texas because he wanted to, he walks along a border with no illegal aliens crossing at all. And all Americans have to do to see them crossing is turn on the news. They're just crossing somewhere else. So he actually, do you think he's going to impress anybody on the Democrat side of the aisle by saying, I went to the border. I was there a grand total of 19 minutes. I didn't see any illegal aliens. And I saw no need to do anything about it. Is that kind of theater going to impress anybody? I can share with you here locally on the border in a community that, again, is 90% Hispanic. Biden's visit did not play well here. It was all theatrics. It was the photo op, and we saw right through that. It was actually an insult for Biden to be here and not to think and think thank our patrol customs agents, our law enforcement officers. Instead, he talked about climate control yeah. as he opened his press conference. That is how out of touch this president is. So I don't think that this theatrics went over well, not here locally, and I don't believe that the national Democrats are going to buy into it either. And, and Joe Biden didn't even mention Lake and Riley, did he? No, he did not mention Lake and Riley. Yeah, it's pretty sad. It's pretty pathetic. Congresswoman, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for the work you do for people in Texas and for the rest of the country. We appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. That's Monica De La Cruz, member of uh, Congress from the uh, great state of Texas. I'd talk to Texas Democrats if I could. They won't come on the show. But it'd be interesting to ask them, were you impressed by President Biden showing up at the border the second time in his entire life that he's ever shown up on the Mexico-America border. And he stayed there for a grand total, walked down the, the border for 19 whole minutes, and then gave a speech about climate change as though he didn't really know what was going on. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network.
me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. The 40th president of the United States always knew where to put the blame. You have blamed mistakes of the past, and you have blamed the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. By the way, we just got word. We told you about the spy balloon that was spotted earlier. Uh, Oh, no. Do we know that it's a spy balloon? No, the Biden Pentagon says nothing to worry about, folks. Just another spy balloon. Well, now another one's been found, only this one isn't in the air. Apparently, fishermen up in Alaska uh, spotted the uh, remains of a balloon that had crashed in the ocean. And the commercial fishing vessel that found it is going to bring this object into shore sometime this weekend, probably when they're done filling the hold with fish, because you got to make a living. I mean, you got to pay, pay, take that into account as well. Apparently, the FBI says the pictures that have been taken of what they found in the water look enough like previous surveillance balloons that the FBI is going to actually meet the ship when it arrives in port in Alaska and then take this object, whatever it is, to the lab in Quantico and figure out what it is. And I'm sure the Biden administration will say, nothing to worry about. That's just one of those balloons from Joe's friends in Beijing. You know, move along, folks. Nothing to see here. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. 24 years now serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. Let's go first to Sandy. Hey, Sandy, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, hi, Lars. How are hi. you? I'm doing quite well, ma'am. Thanks for asking. Um, I want to mention to you that I'm going to be 82 next month. Are you? I, uh, Congratulations. Many time, happy returns. Thank you. The last time I voted Democrat was for Kennedy, and I've <laughs> never voted Democrat since. But did you notice when they had pictures of Biden, the people around him were staring at him like they could just slap him or hit him. They were not happy. <laughs> then they switched to then they switched to Trump and those people were just full of laughter and stuff. I thought it was just amazing. He he's you know what? I figure Sandy, either the the border patrol agents around Biden we're either uh, doing this detail because somebody had to be somebody from Border Patrol had to show up when this open oh, borders yeah. president showed up. So they said, um, we're going to forgive you the two weeks of, of suspension, you know, that you're getting for some offense you've yeah. committed. 
you're going to pay your penalty by having to spend the day with Joe. Or they drew the short <laughs> straw because they didn't look very happy to me either. Sandy, happy birthday to you. Birthday to you. I, I, I actually turned 65 myself next week. Let's go to James. Hey, James, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. I love the show. Uh, Thank you. I was just wondering if uh, if you or any of your listeners have heard the, the ad that's been going around from the Washington Secret Secretary of State that says, you know, notifying that your ballots are out to make sure to vote and to specifically make sure you vote for your party affiliation that comes, you know, already put on your on your ballot, which which I think is kind of a, a bit not misleading, but kind of just guiding anyone to just, you know, go go ahead and vote for basically who we tell you to. So I, I haven't received mine yet, uh, but I, I'm curious to see what it what it says and, and what my fiancé says as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting because in Oregon, the big question has been they're making people mark on the outside of the ballot, sign their signatures so your signature is out there for anybody to see, and mark your party affiliation, and it warns if you don't, in Oregon, which has more of a primary system than Washington does, um, and a different kind of primary, uh, if you don't mark your party affiliation, we're not going to pass your, uh, pass, or we're not going to count your vote, which, which I just think is absolutely insane. And people are angry about it, and they should be. Uh, I don't trust vote by mail. Uh, and, and just to show this is a bipartisan show, James Earl Carter of Plains, Georgia, former president, sat on a presidential commission and they looked at voting. And you know what they concluded? Jimmy Carter wrote the biggest opportunities for fraud and cheating were in vote by mail. And I just wish Oregon and Washington had been listening. Let's go to Jason. Hey, Jason, it's First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Great show today. I hope they never come up with uh, term limits for radio hosts. Uh, no, well, I, thank you for that. The, the marketplace is enough of a term limit for me, and that's fine. Yeah, China and uh, the Mexican cartels are joining forces, I heard you guys saying, and that's not a good thing. That's going to create narco-terrorism. And anybody that's not familiar with what narco-terrorism, that's, that's terrorism fueled by drug sales and carried out by, um, by drugged-up, drug-fueled um, martyrs, coked-up martyrs. Um, and what they're doing is they're filling these shipping containers, like the ones you were talking about, um, with these uh, fighting age young men, and they're they're sending them into our country, just like. Well, like, they don't even have to. Walk, you know, if you haven't noticed, they don't even have to put them in shipping containers. They've just been flying them into Ecuador. They come up through the Darien Gap. They walk across our border, and then the Joe Biden Border Patrol conveniently gives them a ride to a, a center where they're given uh, food and a place to sleep and a medical checkup, and then they're turned loose to, to go out into America. And many of those so are Chinese nationals. Why would you bother putting them in a shipping container when they can just walk in? You know, the way these shipping containers work, it's, 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 it works both ways. They can kidnap people in and out of the country. That's why a lot of people aren't willing to talk about what's going on. Is They're dumping people into the ocean just like they did uh, with the scrap metal from September 11th. I got to tell you something. I'm uh, I'm curious about that because I don't want to end up as a uh, as a person in a shipping container any day of the week. Jason, thanks for the call. Glad to get your calls and emails. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check me out on Instagram. You'll see I've got a face for radio, but that's okay. That's what God gave me. I'll work with it. And you're listening to First Amendment Friday.
I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.